0: Here we go. You know what time it is. It's another episode of Sports Life Balance.
1: I was on antidepressants that I truly needed back then because I was very, very depressed. And when the doctors just kept prescribing more, you know, up the dosage, they said. But In Hawaii, I decided after like my first or second run, I'm going to throw these away. I don't need them anymore. I felt alive just from that first run. And then I was like, every day on that vacation, I just started running a little bit further, a little bit further, and I'd go into the ocean. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to make a pact with myself that when I get back from Hawaii, I'm going to continue to run. I did just that. When I got back to Santa Monica, my neighbor and I started taking our dogs out on the beach really, really early before the, uh, animal patrol.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the origin story of our next guest, Julie Weiss. She's become known as the marathon goddess, and to date, she has completed a whopping 110 marathons. I'm your host, John Moffat, and I'm so happy that you've joined us today for the season two finale of sports life balance. Growing up, Julie wasn't an athlete at all. She was a rebel, a teen mother, and estranged from her father. But within a year of those first steps in Hawaii, Julie successfully finished her first marathon. And her proud father was there, witnessing Julie's transformation fueled by her newfound love of running. And together, they aspired to qualify for the holy grail of distance running, the Boston Marathon. But before Julie achieved this dream, her father was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer and succumbed to the formidable disease just a few weeks later. From her grief rose a life changing idea to raise money for pancreatic cancer research. Julie's plan an endurance odyssey to complete 52 marathons in 52 weeks. Well, thank you for being here today, Julie.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
0: (laughs) Well, I I love your story. And um, you got to love serendipity in life, how things sometimes just happen. Last Saturday, uh, I was swimming with my usual group out at at Tower 26 in Santa Monica, and we had just finished a swim. And Charlotte, your neighbor, I was speaking with her, and she was telling me all about you and that you should be on my podcast. And I... I remember your story, but now I'm so happy that Charlotte suggested it and put us together. And here you, here you are a few days later. So big thanks for coming out and, and doing this.
1: Absolutely. And thank you to Charlotte for introducing me to you, John. This is great. So I'm really happy to be here.
0: So your memoir is called Miles and Trials of a Marathon Goddess. So why did you choose that title?
1: Uh, That's actually a great question, (laughs) and it's not as divine as it sounds. You know, this great goddess, I actually saw the name Marathon Goddess on a shirt at an expo years and years ago, Uh I was like, oh, I love that name. Let me um, see if it's available. So actually, it was. I trademarked it, and um, what the Marathon Goddess really means to me is, you know, it's not that I'm the Marathon Goddess. It's more being a god or goddess of whatever it is that you love to do Uh and i love running marathons Uh and so i called myself the marathon goddess now you can be a goddess or of whatever it is that you love if you love to swim you know whatever it is gardening dancing you know it's just whatever you're passionate about i decided that you can be a goddess or god of that whatever that is (laughs) well
0: i i love it it's a great it's a great message and Your accomplishments are um, quite inspiring, and we'll get into those in a little bit, but you weren't always such a driven human being. Um, um, What were you like as a kid growing up?
1: I was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's the new term. (laughs) I was a lot. I I was very, uh, always driven to kind of get what I what I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was good or bad, and when I was a kid, it, I sort of went off to the wrong path, I went with the, the bad guys, and mm-hmm. I got into the drugs, and uh, you know, I was just really kind of insecure, looking for love in all the wrong places, I guess right, you could right. say, and um, yeah, I had fell on some really hard times, and in fact, you know... Um, Probably hit rock bottom, I would say, with you know being addicted to drugs and uh alcohol and men or whatever and or love I was probably addicted to love it's what I was looking for I was uh-huh. searching for but, yeah. and and um you know I was about twenty eight twenty nine thirty I was kind of that's when my i really oh my gosh hit yeah, but uh I climbed out slowly,
0: yeah yeah um, Thank and god you, you- <laughs> You yeah, you you definitely did. Um, you you mentioned you mentioned love, and um, your father was a big role in your life. But back then, your relationship was quite strained.
1: Yes, God bless my father, Maurice Weiss, larger than life personality. Uh, he is a drummer, stockbroker, actor, and uh, you know he. He tried his best, but he didn't quite know how to show uh, his love for me and my sister. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, you know, growing up as a depression, Eric, you know, he just didn't. He, he himself had issues, but he tried his best to show love to, to me and my sister, but he didn't quite know. He didn't quite get it. Um His way of showing us love was taking us on vacations and things like that, but uh, he didn't quite have the emotional support that we needed growing yeah. up, so that i don't blame him. I just know that's what happens for children when they yeah. don't get the love and support that they need. They start looking for love outside you know from other places and sometimes not good places <laughs> yeah you know
0: yeah and and one of those was um you had your first baby as a teenager
1: I did that's right
0: And that must have put tons of strain strain on your relationship with your father as well
1: Oh boy did it ever I was um 17 when I got pregnant oh, my. and uh yeah I mean it was it was tough you know they wanted me to give him up for adoption and this and that I'm like I I think I even hid the fact that I was pregnant for 6 months as long oh, as I man. could but um, once my son was born, I don't know what happened. It was like everyone was so happy. He was so beautiful, and oh. it brought like a lot of love back into our family for this little this little boy, Frankie, my son. And um, it was, yeah, that was a beautiful thing when he yeah. was born. I was eighteen and still a kid, raising kids, raising kids. You yeah, know, not quite knowing what I'm doing, but uh, I did get a lot of help. From my parents, as far as raising okay. my son and my daughter as well.
0: But you described that um, you lived with, uh, instead of your parents, you lived with the the father's... The, ah, Frank, yes. Yes. Frank Sr., right? Yeah, yeah, you lived right. with his parents. And I mean, it, it, it sounded like you had quite a nice existence and relationship with them.
1: You know, I I love his family. Frank um is is the my children's father and he is he's really fun and he's uh from Mexico and they have this wonderful family of love and support and food and <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I felt welcome there. I really did. Yeah. And so I I went sort of I drifted. I was drifting back and forth. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, I mean and and you describe it you describe in in the book is that there was some dysfunction there between you and Frank. Some oh
1: yeah, issues
0: I, in the relationship, absolutely. and it really is part of you know what led you to really kind of hitting rock bottom, wasn't it?
1: Well, you could say that I went from the frying pan into the fire.
0: How so? With
1: Frank, um, Frank was you know. Frank is the father of my children, and uh, you know, our relationship was was we were kids, you know, we were still yeah. children, and um he was in and out of jail a lot, you know, oh my but gosh. I, I loved him and I loved his family. I loved the culture, you know, uh, and I was very dedicated to making our relationship work and our marriage work, but he was in and out of jail so many times, and I you know i then I met someone else that was just. Um, hmm, the fire. The fire. That's the fire <laughs> uh-huh. that you're speaking of. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: So you. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that you're you're dep- you're getting depressed and dealing with medications, and and you had weight gain, and you just felt terrible about yourself, right?
1: I sadly, I did. I I was stuck. You know, I was a single young mom raising yeah. now two kids. You know, and. Just really going through the motions of my daily life, yeah, not exercising very much, very little, you know, um, yeah. eating bad food, and just going through the motions and right. not really making any progress in, in my life I, I did the best I could,, you right. know, but it was tough
0: right well uh, something something happened in your life that really affected you positively, and it started with your father, you mentioned that he would take you on trips, your father taking you and the rest of the family to Hawaii. Um, something happened where that changed your life. Just describe that moment oh, on the beach.
1: Thank you. I'm actually getting goosebumps as you <laughs> say that. That's a beautiful thing. I, When my father decided to take us all to Hawaii... I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do something. I'm going to start running when I get there. You know, really.
0: So you you set out to do this even beforehand.
1: Well, I thought, you know, I I, I had been to Hawaii before, and mm-hmm. I but I thought, you know, I'm I'm so depressed, and I'm just going to try to run yeah. on the beach. I'm going to see what it, you know, see what I can do, and and I did that first day. I went running, and I felt like a beached whale. Sadly, you know, I was, you know, but the um, energy from the ocean and the the sand and the air, something sort of awoke in me as I was running. I felt like I had run 10 miles. It was probably one (laughs) (laughs) when I got back, maybe one or two. But when I got back, my dad was there, like, looking, you know, hey, you know, good job, you know, finally hearing some support from... My dad and my mom was there and I was like, yeah, thanks as I collapsed on <laughs> collapsed onto the <laughs> sand. But I decided to try again the next day. And it was that trip that I I was on antidepressants that I truly needed back then yeah. because I was very very depressed and when the doctors just kept prescribing more, you know, up the dosage they said. Uh. That's that was their suggestion. But um, in Hawaii, I decided after like my first or second run, I'm going to throw these away. I don't need them anymore. I felt alive just from that first run. And then I was like, every day on that vacation, I just started running a little bit further, a little bit further. And I'd go into the ocean, and I'm like... <gasps> Yes, I'm going to make a pact with myself that when I get back from Hawaii, I'm going to continue to run. When I get back to Santa Monica, I'm going to run with my dog. And I uh, I did just that. When I got back to Santa Monica, my neighbor and I started taking our dogs out on the beach really, really early before the uh, animal patrol. <laughs> <laughs> so...
0: So, something just shifted in in you, and something also shifted. You mentioned it briefly about your dad. Something shifted between your relationship with him as well
1: he, yeah i I am so grateful that um I felt that support from my dad, uh-huh. you know for the very first time. It' been a long time since he was proud of me um for starting to run and change my life. I knew something was missing deep down inside, uh-huh. you know as I'm living this unhealthy lifestyle i knew that i needed and i when i felt his support and him being proud of me i and believing in me i started to believe in myself and then i just sort of really loved running you know and i got back and i just continued to run and and i guess you could say i got bit by the running bug maybe <laughs>
0: well yeah, I, I, I think yes, I can see that. But also, there is, I believe that there is a transformative nature to sports and athletics, and it's, it's also meditative. In that, for me, one of the reasons I started swimming was that it, it cooled the demons. It, it put them aside for a while, and. I was doing something that was just for me, and I was inside my own head. And there's just a magic to that.
1: Absolutely. There's a huge shift, a huge transformation when you start doing something for yourself, something good for yourself, and when you start believing in yourself. And for me, it was um, night and day. I mean... When I got back and I continued to run in those mornings, um, I felt alive again, Mm. like something in me awoke. Wow. It was like the goddess, (laughs) (laughs) you know, something. I just felt like this is it. This is what I've been missing my my whole life. You know, I I ran a little bit as a little kid and I used to love running. And, um, you know, this is what I felt like. As you mentioned, you know, for our children, when I was a little kid, I felt like a little kid again when I was running oh, wow. and my spirit awoke. And, um, and then my girlfriend says, why don't we do a triathlon? I was like, what is that?
0: <laughs> it's, it's so did you?
1: <laughs> I did. We, we signed up for, I believe it was the 2007 LA Tri. And, um, without much training, I think I rented a bike. <laughs> uh, we did that triathlon and I, I fell in love with running. Running was my the, the obviously the favorite of yeah, the three right. for me. But yeah, I did it.
0: Well, at some point too, you started aspiring to do marathons. How did that come about?
1: That's a great question. And honestly, um, you know, when I did that first triathlon, my dad was there at the finish line, um, oh. and he was so proud. And having him there and having him um, be my number one fan now was this new relationship uh-huh. that I loved that I hadn't had ever. I mean, little bits of it, but yeah. this was new. This was a transformation not only in my body, but, you know, with this, with my dad, you know. Yeah. And uh, so as I'm doing all this running and training, obviously, I, I started to lose weight and i lost about 35 pounds or so in about wow. 6 months and after the triathlon i was like well i'm going to try for a half marathon did that in december of 2007 and i thought okay if i could do a half marathon what's stopping me <laughs> from doing a full a full marathon yeah and so i think i started training december for a march race, don't do that. <laughs> I finished that marathon, but I, I was unrecognizable. <laughs> it was not good. It was rough. Yeah, it was very was rough. rough. My ex-husband, Frank, who, who is, we talked about earlier, yeah. is my friend, and he was there as well. And he didn't recognize me. <laughs> well, it was rough. <laughs> well,
0: you probably learned a lot of lessons I, from that.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: But as you say, you the running bug bit you. Um, you ran another marathon and another, and started to love it, didn't you? You weren't such a wreck after each one.
1: No, after a while I, I really, really did. I mean, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of newbies, will run their first marathon and then say, "Oh, I'm never going to do that again," and then sign up for another marathon. You know, a week later, because you sort of feel like you want to redeem yourself a uh-huh. little bit, which is how I felt. But I also, I loved it. I loved, uh, it was a challenge, but I I really wanted to see if I could do better than my first marathon. So I signed up for another. I did a lot better. And that's what I was like, oh, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Not really knowing how to train, just kind of being a little ignorant, not knowing that thinking the more marathons you ran, the faster you're going to get. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to about, I don't know, marathon 16 or 17. This is all within a year or so, two really? years. Yeah, I just, wow. I really got, I was having fun. I was having fun thinking I could qualify for Boston, but when I wasn't getting any faster, I thought, okay, it's time to hire a coach.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but the, but doing those marathons is part of like creating the new Julie, right?
1: Absolutely. I. I mean, that's where the marathon goddess was born. Actually, yeah. when I finished that first triathlon, my arms raised up over my head. I just like automatically. I just thought that's what you do when you finish the race. Or <laughs> <laughs> my arms just went up. I, I. I couldn't control them, and it was like, you know, feeling the sun, feeling the joy of crossing that finish line. And so now I do that at every race. If oh. you. Have ever seen a picture of me? Uh, normal, my arms are usually up in the air. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did notice that your arms are up there quite a bit, but why not? why not, after you make an accomplishment like running a marathon, throw your arms in the air in exultation? I mean what
1: right? yeah, absolutely. seems natural Victory to me. pose, goddess pose, whatever you want to call it I, I suggest that people do that
0: it's it's a it's a sign to the world that you're happy.,
1: oh, it's beautiful. That's right. Right? Yeah, more goosebumps. <laughs> it's so true.
0: So you mentioned real briefly, you set your sights on, on Boston Marathon, but you needed some coaching, right?
1: Yes, and, and let me take you back a little bit because it was my father who told me to join a running club, which is the Los Angeles Roadrunners.
0: So during, you're, during this time, you were running with a group of people.
1: Yeah, I was training a little bit with them, and it was my father who told me to check them out, the Roadrunners, and they're the official training group of the Los Angeles Marathon. And I would always see this one guy there who was this pace leader coach that always had a group of people around him, and I could never get to him (sighs) because everybody wanted his knowledge and to talk to him. And I'm like, I need to talk to him. His name was David Levine. Okay. And so I um, finally got around to talking to him and asked if he would create a schedule for me to okay. qualify for Boston, and uh, he said no. <laughs> oh, gosh. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, he was busy working on a book, uh, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Marathon Training. He wrote that? He co-wrote that book, yeah. Oh, so that's awesome. So I um, was obviously determined, to get him to create a schedule for me. So Dang. I showed up at the track one night, you know, a little flirting here and there. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> hurt, right? There's a will, there's a way. <laughs> and I finally got him to create a schedule for me. And I uh, I followed that thing. And, and lo and behold, I, I got to um, a marathon. Yeah, within six months or so, I had taken... A good chunk of time off. Right, right. But not quite enough.
0: So uh, you you talked about in your book that there is – um one, it was the Long Beach Marathon, I think, where you were really you, – you thought you were going to be able to make the time cut, which is quite aggressive, by the way. It's very fast to make the time cut for Boston Marathon. And you just felt great, and you thought for sure you're going to make it. You're working with this new coach. What happened?
1: I – I was uh I was on pace. I saw my coach at uh mile 20, David. I also saw Rod Dixon, who you may know, who won the New York City Marathon in 2 2000 something, but Oh wow. <laughs> Don't know him. <laughs> Anyways, they're both coaches and I stopped to give Rod a hug. I stopped to give David a hug. Oh. And I was like I I just missed it by 2 minutes. I don't uh. know if it was the hugs. I don't know if it was going out too fast, but I think it was the hugs. I, <laughs> I was I was, you know, I was pretty disappointed. I you know, I ran, I think it was a um boy, I needed a 350 and yeah. I ran a 352 or something like that right, at the right. time. And I was disappointed. My dad said, don't worry. It's okay. You're under four hours. You're going to get it. He was always so proud of me, no matter what my marathon time was. Uh, However, uh, I wasn't nearly as devastated as the news that I would get the very next day when my mom called to tell me that my father had been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic Uh. cancer. And there was nothing the doctors could do. Wow. That's... And I said to him, don't worry. You're going to make it. And I'm going to qualify for Boston. And you're going to come and see me qualify. But sadly, my father passed away just 35 days after his oh diagnosis. My gosh. And... Ten days after that, I had my race in Sacramento. Uh-huh. And anybody would have understood if I didn't run it. But I had yeah. to. I had to. It's
0: what is it what he would have wanted you
1: Absolutely. to do? Absolutely. He's he told me when he was sick, don't do anything different. Don't stop training. Keep going to work. Do everything you can. The same. Right. You know, um, and I did everything I could to save him. Everything—I diets, and you know, going to the hospital back and forth, and I would train, and I would cry. You know, being running around Chevy Hills by his bedside, I'd come back and I'd cry. But, um, you know, when I ran that race in Sacramento on December fifth, two thousand ten. Mm. I knew he was with me. He had the best seat in the house. He was in my heart. He was the wind at my back. And it was one of those days where the stars just aligned. And, and I qualified for Boston that day, three hours, 47 minutes, 19 seconds. Mm. And um, I knew we had done it together. Wow.
0: Just yet another illustration of um, how sports kind of somehow stitches together life in strange ways. It's like, that's it, a beautiful story.
1: Yeah, it, it's healing. Sports, there's there's definite, definite healing there when you're doing sports and you're doing something you love. And that energy that comes from from it you know it's not only heals you but other people that are watching you inspires so many Whoa. people that you don't even know you have no idea
0: oh for sure <laughs> i mean think about all the people that you've inspired through the years with all of your endeavors
1: thank you you yeah. too <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i'm i now would like to just continue telling the stories of folks like you and and um in with this podcast and that's the whole point is, is um, there's these wonderful things that happen within sports that we carry with us through our lives and those lessons are useful to others
1: absolutely I'm happy to have the opportunity to share it <laughs> <laughs> the good and the bad and all of it <laughs> yeah well it,
0: no one no one said that aspiration in sports is going to be easy right. and life does get in the way um, but that's also one more lesson about how you get through and persevere um for your dad's memorial after you I believe it was after you made the cut or after you made the Boston cut but you brought your coach David to meet the family that was like kind of uh something was going on there <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah David i um, such a great guy I I I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't know until I kissed him that night. And when I kissed him, I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, uh-oh, there's something there. And, um, yeah, he just became first my best friend, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and, such a great coach, great friend, so supportive, and um, you know, everybody loves David, and he just kind of makes you feel like everything's gonna be okay. Yeah, he has that effect uh-huh. on people, and I think I, I clung on to that, you know, and uh, never let go because he really does have this calming effect on people, and um, so. David is uh, now actually the head coach of the LA Roadrunners, believe it or not, and also wow. my husband. But we can get into that later. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well. So there was something there for sure. Yeah. Um, well, um, at at some point too, so, I believe soon after your father's passing, you um, you quite understandably were deeply motivated to do something about pancreatic cancer. Uh, what was it that you? What, what was it that you were trying to set out to do?
1: Well, when I found out about the statistics of pancreatic cancer, I I knew I needed to do something. I, you know, the third leading cause of cancer death in the United States. It it was about a at the time uh, only about five years. Five percent live after five years. Oh, Something—it's just it's terrible, you know—just yeah. terrible. And I thought, this is unacceptable. I don't want anyone to have to suffer like my dad did yeah. and not even have a fighting chance.
0: Yeah.
1: Or you know, our family. I don't want other families to have to go through that. And so, I had seen one person I, I on Facebook do something crazy, like run fifty-two marathons in fifty-two weeks. And I was like, you know what? I can do that. I think I can do that. I was like, David, can I do that? (laughs) (laughs) I actually woke up one morning. I'm like, I'm gonna do it, really. You know, it was kind of like a half-baked idea. And Uh I was like, but then I was just so inspired and so on fire. Like, yes, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna run fifty-two marathons in fifty-two weeks. (sighs) I'm gonna raise a ton of money. I'm still trying to raise a million dollars where we're getting there, you know, and I don't know how I'm going to do it with a full-time job. You know, my children were older, but I still was determined, I'm going to do this and nothing's going to stop me. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. Oh,
0: of course. And that's why <laughs> that's why it gained so much attention. But, you know, this is, as you, as you were saying, this is basically an outrageously ambitious goal. I mean, just... By any measure. Um, and you, you made it even, it was even more difficult because not only were you balancing a full-time job, but you were, you had to fly or like you would go and you would do a marathon on a weekend, like a weekend warrior, but you came back and worked the whole week and then you do it again. How the
1: heck
0: did you pull that off?
1: <laughs> a lot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, it was... It wasn't easy. I I, I have to admit, the first five marathons or so, um, my body was in shock. Mm. But the the traveling alone was probably more taxing. You know, all this back and forth and getting back to your job and um, leaving sometimes on a Friday, Mm -hmm. traveling to another state, doing the marathon on a Sunday, coming back. Uh, It was exhausting. It was taxing. And I... uh, you know, I, cho- I had my whole schedule picked out in like one night, though. I, I went through and I chose all the downhill. No, I'm just kidding. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have downhill marathons. But, but um, no, I, I, you know, I, I did it the best I could with my schedule. And I picked a lot in California, but yeah. uh, I did hit about 22 states, maybe. And in a, a couple countries, Canada and, and Rome, Rome was where the first marathon was, uh, uh, Maratona de Roma. Mm -hmm. And The Spirit of the Marathon 2, if you ever want to check that out, is the movie that features the uh, beautiful marathon. And I was one of the seven featured runners in that movie. It's a great movie. Spirit
0: of the Marathon 2.
1: The second one, yes, yes. And so when I was done, I was one down and 51 more to go. (laughs) 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 You know, and I really... Didn't know what I was getting myself into.
0: I've got to tell you about our new partners, Roca. Their motto is field tested, athlete approved. And check this out. Roca's two founders are both fellow Stanford All-American swimmers. And they know their stuff. And I've been field testing their gear and glasses for years. And Roca quality and function second to none their entire line of eyewear is really really lightweight and they come with adjustable and non-slip nose and temple pads and they stay put right on my face even when I'm all sweaty and working out and they're comfortable I totally forget that I'm wearing them they look great too Roka has a huge selection of styles and for all of you aspiring marathoners out there there are dozens of race-tested sunglasses for you to choose from Roka also offers their exclusive try-at-home program, where they'll send you your choice of four different styles, you put them to the test, and then you get to purchase your favorite. So head to Roka.com, that's R-O-K-A.com, and enter code SLB, as in Sports Life Balance. That's three letters, yes, SLB, to save 20% on your first order. And now, back to Marathon Goddess, Julie Weiss.
1: I was one down and 51 more to go, (laughs) you know, and I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's life too, right? Right. You you go into these ambitions and then you're like, whoa.
1: Yeah. It was, um, at first, if you watch the movie, you can see how excited, oh my God, this is going to be so awesome. You know, a lot, you know, a little bit sort of fantasy, you know? (laughs) And, um, this was, this journey was also very, very transformative. I mean, transformational, um, the things I learned, the people I met, the places, us, just, uh, what a journey.
0: Yeah. And it it, it must've gotten really rough, but you know, by now you and David were obviously a couple, but he was also your coach and, was able to help you out really on a daily basis, but also your community, you know, not only the running community, but the, um, um, the pancreatic cancer research community, the, the whole village was behind you.
1: Yes. That's the, that was the most beautiful part about the journey is the people that I met and this village of, you know, almost like a family, mm-hmm. um, When I got to marathon number five, I realized that these marathons were, you know, they were hard and Mm -hmm. all of that. But, you know, I didn't want this to be about the marathons or me. This needed to be about the people that I was running for. This needed, you know, so I was running for my dad, but I really wanted to meet people that were you know survivors and people who were battling or others who may may have lost someone and that's when i decided that's when my journey really changed when i decided to de- start dedicating each marathon to somebody affected by pancreatic cancer wow. yeah. and that took on a whole new meaning a whole new life now i was running for these people and these families and some of them even came out to run with me. And it was the most beautiful experience. You know, the memories, um, sadly, we lost some people along the way, but those um, memories and the hope that we raised and the awareness that we raised and the love um, and the joy that it brought to these families, that's what what it was about. And that's what kept me going when it got really, really tough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, you had to run into some horrible roadblocks and self doubt and roller coasters of emotions and.
1: Oh my goodness! Yes, it was. It was. Uh, I mean, some day there was never. I, I have to be honest. There was never a day that I I said I'm going to quit. There was never a day that I said I'm not going to do this. There was sometimes I felt like, oh, my God, I can't get up, you know, but yeah. I did it, you know, in just moments. But there was never a time that, like, I'm going to quit. Sometimes I felt down, yeah. like nobody cares, you know, nobody, you know, I'm we're not raising enough money, you know, I would get down. But that's also hormones,
0: mm. you
1: know, when you're depleting your hormone levels, like running a marathon yeah. every weekend or sometimes two, three, yeah. depending on life, you know, I had to make some adjustments along the way uh so <laughs> you know, but I was so determined to make this happen. Some people would say, You don't have to do all of them. I'm like, Oh, yes, I do. yeah, oh, yes, i do this is this is for this is for the people this is for for these people I'm running for i'm I'm going to finish this thing
0: yeah i it's, and that's yet another beautiful thing about anybody in life who is who is able to achieve big things things that a lot of people didn't think they could do and maybe even including themselves, is, is that the people that do that, they get through those rough patches. They Their ambition is bigger than the obstacle. And and it's just such a huge life's lesson to learn that if you want to achieve those things, that's what you have to do. And it's painful.
1: It can be very, bar- yeah, it can be painful. Um, but I think... You've really got to believe it. You've really got to believe that you can do it is what it comes down yeah. to. When I, when I qualified for Boston, I believed that I could do it with all my heart and all my soul. When when I decided to um, run these 52 marathons, I believed it. I visualized yeah. it. I knew in my heart that I was going to do it. You have to believe it or it's not going to happen. And that's also what's going to get you through those obstacles. You know, if nothing is, you know, they'll, they'll knock you down a little, but you're, you're going to get back up and you're going to keep going because you know in your heart and you believe that you can do it. And you will, but you have to believe.
0: Beautifully said. You started saying, we got this, to people that you don't know, right? I mean, how did, how did that come about, we got this?
1: That's a great question, and I have an answer. Actually, it <laughs> used to be, "I got this." Oh, yeah. It was. It was like, "Oh, I can do this." I like got your self affirmation. Yeah. yeah. It was, "I got this," and um, when it, I, I think it, it changed when I started running and dedicating these marathons to other people, because now it wasn't about me anymore. It was we. And that's where that came from. And wow. I just, okay, pun intended, I ran with that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. I mean, when you're, you know, when you go together, you, you, you're so much more, it's so much more fun. It's so much more, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean,
0: we keep ticking off all the magic things about sports and community and your fellow competitors or your fellow racers or that's important.
1: That's Absolutely. important in life as well, in family
0: and friends. And
1: My husband's number one rule, who is the coach, certified USA triathlon, track and field, level two, whatever coach, his number one rule is that you need to have fun. And his number two rule is that if you're not having fun, you need to go back. Like if you're injured, whatever it is, you got to fix it. You got to heal and come back to where you're having fun. That's his rule number one. And he couldn't be more right.
0: I Completely agree. With
1: you.
0: <laughs> That's for sure. So we got this. Um, we do. <laughs> marathon number 52, the LA Marathon, was a year one day removed from the day you started in Rome. Um, tell me what that was like running that final marathon in your hometown in front of all your home peeps.
1: That was, that day, March 17th, 2013, was surreal. It was like, uh, it was surreal to have all my family there, to have my roadrunner friends, to have all my running friends, to have my pancreatic cancer village there. Um, And not to mention the amount of press that we got that day. I mean, I had... CNN in the car with me I had the uh Today show running behind me you know um it, it was the amount of money and the amount of awareness that we raised uh it just kind of all culminated that day and um I've got more goosebumps as I'm talking it's just it was it was surreal and it was um you know running down Hollywood Boulevard and um, singing, and it was so much joy. There was so much joy, and you know, a lot of people were asking me, you know, what do you feel like as you're about to to make that turn on the final stretch of your final 50 second marathon? I'm like, I I couldn't even talk. I was like, I just couldn't believe it, you know. And and it comes down to really the people that I met along the way in this journey, which um, one of them I picked up at Mile 25, who is um, my dear friend, God bless her, Lupe uh, Romero de la Cruz, Mm -hmm. um, three-time pancreatic cancer survivor, marathon runner, and I um, dedicated that race to her and some other people, but I ran that last mile with her. We ran it together, and she had just completed her Whipple surgery, which is where they remove your pancreas and they do all these things to your stomach. But she survived that, you know, and she had her medal on, and we ran that uh, last mile together, and it was it was unbelievable. It was just a, such a beautiful moment to cross the finish line yeah. with her and, and uh, to run with her for her, for my dad. And I had these two purple balloons that I was running with that day, mm-hmm. and I like crossed the finish line. I let one go for my dad, and I let another one go for all the people that are affected by pancreatic cancer. And I said, pancreatic cancer is my only competitor out there. And we're going to beat it.
0: How did um, this 52 marathons in 52 weeks change you?
1: These marathons, uh, they transformed me in a way that made me feel like um, I was just a different person from when I started to the end, I I, I felt like, I felt, I don't know, I don't think powerful is the right word, but I felt like I made, made a great dent in this dark, like I was a light in this dark world of pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. I think that best explains it, you know, that I brought, I brought hope and I brought light to this, to this terrible disease and showed And I wanted to show people that you can beat this. You can survive. You can, if you donate, we can do this together. You know, so far to date, we've raised over $700,000. And, um, you know, when I I started running, it was a... um, five-year survival rate. You know, now it's doubled the survival rate. So, you know, I feel like I had a part in that. I, obviously, I'm not a cancer researcher, I, but I can run. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can do my part. And I, I felt like, I, I think it's the quote by C.S. Lewis really sums it up. Like you're never too old or too young to to have a new goal or a new dream because, you know, I started this journey in my 40s and, you know, here I am still running, at, at 51, about to run my 110th marathon, you know, you can really do whatever it is that you set your mind to. You really can. And I think that's how it changed me. You know, it was um, first qualifying for Boston sort of sh- showed me that. But this was like a yeah. whole another level, uh, a level of um, greatness, you know, of, yeah. of hope, of love. Of inspiration, you know, showing people what's possible and that you can, um, you have the ability to change your life at any age, do great things. We can all do our part.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yes, and I agree and agree and agree. You know, this these for for an athlete these in, in these incredible highs that athletes like yourself and many others are able to achieve there's a letdown afterwards it's hard oh yeah it's it's hard so you know i think anybody has experienced that you know something that you work toward your entire life and then suddenly it's gone there's a there's a void there
1: uh, you know there's this they i i think i coined i don't know if i coined it but it, there's this post marathon depression Uh after you finish one marathon or one big goal you know there's that letdown that it's a
0: universal yeah imagine
1: 52 of them
0: no i can't
1: (laughs) imagine when the cameras the donations Mm -hmm. the running everything just stops yeah and yeah my first david and i went through some struggles for sure and i I think I went back on antidepressants for a little while because I didn't know what to do. I was really lost. There was a period, it was about a year, it took me to sort of climb out of that. And I suggest to anyone get a new goal. That's all you have to get a a new goal after you finish one. Yeah. Doesn't have to be a big, giant goal. But if I could make that suggestion, you know, pick something, you know. But for me and this, this, gigantic 52 marathon gold to, to, it took me about a year to really heal from that, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally. And, uh, David and I broke up and then ended up getting back together. So, um, you have to, you know, keep the hope alive. Mm-hmm. It, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. It's always what my grandmother said. Mm-hmm. So when you are going through those dark moments, just, just remember that it will, keep the hope alive, hold on, stay in the light and, yeah. and you're going to make it and you're going to come out and you, you don't know when it's just going to happen one day. You're going to start, you know, slowly starting to feel better after yeah. uh, a, a letdown of a big accomplishment like that. But, you know, my husband says to, to choose something, make another goal, another plan and uh, slowly but surely just keep putting one foot in front of the other and yeah. you'll get back into the light.
0: And what was that? I mean, you you started running again. I mean, it sounds like you actually figured out a goal, something else that you wanted to do next.
1: Well, I was going to run another 52, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I've done that. Let's not do that. I was (laughs) going to try to qualify for Boston again, which I did attempt to do um, in 2015, and uh, I I didn't quite make it, but David and I had gotten back together, and he's like, am I going to have to propose to you again? I said, well, if you do, can you do it at the L.A. Marathon finish line?
0: Okay. <laughs> and
1: he did that. I didn't expect him to. I didn't know he was going to show up. There's a great story behind that. Well, let's hear it. Well, it's uh, – it's uh, <laughs> 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 he um, he almost got uh, – you know, he was running with a ring. <laughs> he didn't run the whole marathon, but he jumped in the race and – Wait,
0: he had it on his pinky yeah, or something? Yeah, he had it on
1: his pinky, and uh, and he almost got, you know, with the security – uh, at the finish line, yeah. you know they they weren't going to let him in, and they almost clobbered him. No. <laughs> they, they they let him in finally, and and he proposed to me at the finish line. So while I didn't reached my goal of qualifying for Boston. You know, it ended on a super sweet note. It was 90 degrees that day, though. So, you know, I might have made it, had it, but I got something better. Yeah, You yeah. know? <laughs> a little
0: hot to make your Boston yeah, Marathon cuts, so, but perfect for a proposal. Oh, it
1: was beautiful. You can you can Google it. It's it's all there on Channel 5. Well. <laughs> if you want to see it. It's uh, on video. Yeah. Oh, kind I love it. I didn't get to see
0: it. I want to check that out. Um, you're still running, even through the pandemic. Um, I can tell you swimming in the ocean is one of the silver linings that I had throughout that ordeal that we're all through. Um, and later this year, I believe you will run your 110th marathon.
1: That's right. The, uh, 2021 Los Angeles marathon will be my 110th marathon and I am running it with Uh, with my friends, with the Roadrunners, maybe even another person who you might want to bring onto your podcast. Her name is Jocelyn the Warrior, who is about to break the Guinness Book of World Records for her being the youngest woman to run 100 marathons.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: She's 24. What? And so I am passing the torch. (laughs) It's way easier. What did my uh, friends say? It's way easier to to, uh, pass the torch than to run with it for 26.2
0: miles.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I'm going to run with her. My 110th marathon. I've got a TED Talk coming up, which I am super excited about. Yeah, TEDx, Delthorn Women. And it's all about uh, revolution, creating a revolution. And I want to help people... I want to start a health revolution. I want to help people get healthy again because, you know, if I can do it, somebody who wasn't, you know, an elite athlete or wasn't an athlete in high school or college, you know, I started at at 37, then you can do it too, you know? Yeah. You can. What a story. So that's um, sort of my next my next project. How exciting. Yeah. That's, thank you. That
0: is that is really cool. I'm really happy for you.
1: Oh, thank you. And it just goes to show you never give up on your dreams because one of my dreams was to do a TED Talk eight years ago, Yeah, nine years ago when I finished, I think it was eight when I finished the 52. I always wanted to do a TED Talk. I kept it in, you know, I, I tried and I failed and I tried and I failed and lo and behold, you know it happens. So just keep going. It's going to happen. You don't know when, but it's going to happen for you if you stay positive and keep going.
0: It's true. It really is true. That's been, that's been the story of my life. So what would be your advice for, for somebody who happens to be listening, who today is in that same place that you were the day you flew out to Hawaii before you took those first steps on this long, long journey?
1: First, I would say, if you don't, don't worry, because you are going to find something that you love. You may not know what it is right now, but mm. keep an open mind and keep your heart open and see what is it. I would ask that person, what is it that you love to do? And if they said, I don't know, I would say, OK, don't worry. It's going to come. Your idea will come to you and you will know. It may you You, you don't know what it is, but... Also, I would suggest if they don't know what it is what it is, what you're passionate about, what you love to do, that's okay. Um, if you want to if you want to get healthy, if you want to lose weight, I would suggest walking. Mm. Go for a mm. walk, you know, 30 minutes a day, three times a week, and also take a friend with you right you know let's yeah, let's make it fun. Let's start a revolution let's let's take you know, let's go together and do this together and make it fun. You can, you know, you can do a a walk, you could do a walk run, you Mm -hmm. know, just slowly, gradually build up and see if that speaks to you. If you, if you enjoy it, then that's going to be for you. But you need to really find something that you enjoy. But as I said, if you don't know what it is, don't worry, because it's going to find you.
0: All right, just, just keep searching.
1: It's it found me. I never uh, knew I was going to be a runner and a marathoner. It, it just kind of found me, you know. And I, I also enjoyed um, swimming, you know, with yeah. you know like you do in the ocean. That was beautiful, you know. And and um, you know, you evolve over the years, and and you do what you love, and that's what's very important is to do something that you love, and. And may I just say that doing what you love, do it for yourself first. But then when you add the component of doing what you love for someone, for someone else, for someone that you love, like a charity or a cause Mm -hmm. or a parent or a child or pet, whatever it is, if you're doing something that you love for someone, that's when the miracles happen.
0: Wow. It's beautifully said it's true even though some of us me included are not necessarily destined to be marathoners um, there's just so much to learn from sports and from you and your journey so I just thank you for sharing and thank you for being on the podcast today
1: thank you so much for having me I I am very honored and I I hope you enjoyed my story and I hope it inspired you in some way. And um, yeah, just keep going. We got this.
0: We got this. Indeed. Thanks again, Julie. Thank you. Julie told me that a big part of what has brought balance into her life, especially during her grueling 52 and 52, has been daily meditation. She asked that I leave you with this definition by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. He says, by enlivening the most basic level of life, transcendental meditation is one simple procedure which can raise the life of every individual and every society to its full dignity, in which problems are absent and perfect health, happiness, and rapid pace of progress are the natural features of life. If you'd like to read more about Julie's marathon adventures, pick up her memoir, the Miles and Trials of a Marathon Goddess. And if you'd like to donate to pancreatic cancer research, head to her website, MarathonGoddess.com. I'm John Moffat, and thank you for joining Julie and me for her uplifting and inspiring stories. And it's hard for me to believe, but this is the final episode of Season 2. We've worked hard, one episode at a time, and I hope that you can feel the passion behind each story. And perhaps like a marathon, we need a little break. But we'll be back after the new year. Thank you so much for helping our podcast grow. And I look forward to sharing all new episodes in 2022. Until then, keep striving for your own Sports Life Balance. Thanks for listening, kids, to Sports Life Balance.